Good morning. Let's uh, pause for a quick word of prayer before we, we dive into the Scripture. Father, we pray that You would continue to be with us here this morning, that You would open up uh, the Word of God to us, that we would hear what You want us to hear in this story, see ourselves where we need to see ourselves in the story, and help us to leave um, committed to live out the life that You want us to live by the power of Your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. There are these expressions that we say all the time. I don't know, you may be more observant than I am, but sometimes I, I, there are these expressions I've used all my life that I've never really thought about what, what they mean. Um, I don't know when the first time it dawned on me what a wild goose chase was. Um, I, I, I don't know that it involved a goose, but I can imagine somebody who maybe had talked about going on a wild goose chase their whole life, and then one day they see someone chasing a goose and they say, ha ha, he's on a wild goose chase. And then it dawns on them, wait, that's actually what the expression means. I don't, I don't know whether you've had that experience, but bearing the hatchet is one of those expressions. As I was preparing for this morning's sermon, I thought, what would be a good title uh, for this story of, of Jacob and Esau, and the first thing that jumped into my mind was burying the hatchet, and I thought to myself, what, is that, what does that actually mean, to bury the hatchet? I mean, I know what it means, but w- where did that expression even come from? And so I went to that great source of absolute uh, truth, Wikipedia, um, and, uh, and from what I can tell, this is actually true, uh, that, um, that this was a Native American expression, uh, maybe some even association with the Iroquois, where when two warring tribes, uh, Native American tribes, would, would come to an end of their fighting and they would make peace with each other, the two chiefs, I, I hope this is true, it's a great story even if it isn't, the two chiefs would come together and they would take their hatch, the hatchets of war and they would bury them, which symbolized that we are no longer at war. We don't need the hatchets to kill each other. We are burying the hatchet. Of course, I'd like to think that we can do one better than burying the hatchet. When you bury the hatchet, you know where the hatchet is. You know, I'd, I'd like to forget where you buried the hatchet, which is where the somewhat weird title of, you may not have even looked at the title this morning, but the title of Forgetting the Hatchet, that's, that's the backstory uh, to that. I, I hope that as Christians, like Jacob and Esau, we can not only uh, bury the hatchet, but forget where we buried the hatchet because we are so much at peace with each other. Now, this story of Jacob and Esau, you probably have heard this story uh, before. You probably know it uh, very well. Um, Last week, Pastor Wes uh, talked about Vashti and King Xerxes, and I'll I'll confess, I'm on Team Vashti. I don't have much sympathy for drunken Xerxes uh, asking his wife to come in and do a song and dance for his other drunken friends. Well, let let me say now that in terms of the early life of Jacob and Esau, I'm on Team Esau. I don't have much sympathy uh, for Jacob until after, later in his life, when he repented um, and he found some humility uh, and he, was, he found God, I think, probably uh, later in life. I don't have much sympathy for the early Jacob. In fact, Jacob fits what uh, we might call the archetype of a trickster. seems like a lot of, a lot of cultures have this, this story of a, a trickster. I know there are some people, I won't name them, but they are related to the pastor, like uh, Avengers and Marvel uh, kinds of, uh, of movies. Um, and uh, I guess there's this new series called Loki 
Uh, the, the first, I haven't seen the first episode, but I hear that the first episode is actually, actually out. Well, Loki is this kind of a trickster figure in Norse mythology. He has an older brother, Thor, that he's always trying to trick uh, his brother. Loki's one of these people, you can't ever entirely trust what he's saying because either he's having fun with you at your expense uh, or he's tricking you to, to, to his own ad- advantage. Uh, we, won't, we could pause and take stories uh, about sibling uh, kinds of rivalry. This is not a completely uh, foreign concept of a slightly older uh, child and a slightly younger child, um, and the slightly younger child sometimes, um, you know, vying a little for the, uh, to, to be equal with the older or even better than the older. Uh, there's a, f- a famous reel-to-reel from the early 1950s in my family. I don't know if my family are watching or not, but uh, uh, two of my sisters are only a year apart. Uh, and the older sister was, had just turned three, and the younger sister was still two. And it's a great, one of these great family recordings uh, where the older sister is saying, and I'm, th- tell, tell us a little about yourself. Well, I'm three, and then the younger sister in the background, you're two. And then the, the older sister, I'm, and I'm three, you too. And then finally the third time, and I'm three, you too, dummy. I don't know whether any of you have that kind of a, a rivalry in your family. Well, Jacob, I, Esau, it seems to me that Esau was never particularly bothered. Uh, we don't get the impression that Esau was particularly um, troubled by his relationship with his brother, but Jacob is always trying to get one on, uh, on his brother, it seems like. And of course, we know, we know the story. Esau's a hunter. He goes out. He's hunting. He's famished. Now, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever been as famished as uh, Esau must have been. I, I did run a marathon once, and I was pretty hungry afterwards. Uh, so so I, I try to picture how hungry Esau, Esau must have been uh, after, uh, after hunting. But he comes in. You know the story. Jacob says, are you hungry? He's got this lovely stew going, great, great smell. Esau, Esau's just completely famished. You hungry, Esau? Would you like some stew? Oh, please give me some stew. And of course, well, I'll give you the stew, you know, if you'll, if you'll give me your birthright. And of course, the birthright was everything in, in that day and age. Um, I, I'm thankful to live in a culture where we don't fight as much. I mean, there's still fights. I, I know there are fights when parents die over who gets what. I mean, that, that still happens, obviously. But, but it, could, it could end in death in the ancient world. And so they just made a rule. The oldest son always gets the stuff. End of story. And that was, a, that was just settled everything. And so if you're Esau, you're sitting great. If you're, if you're Jacob, and we have these tales throughout history of younger brothers trying to, you know, get, it from, get everything from their older brother. It never ends well. I don't know if you remember Antigone, uh, the story of Antigone. There's a story of the Maccabees just before Jesus where a younger brother goes to the Romans, and it all ends in disaster. I mean, how did the Romans take over Israel? Because a younger brother didn't want his older brother, you know, to have, to have the kingdom. And so um, Jacob gets his, Esau, of course, did wrong. Esau shouldn't have sold his birthright, uh, but, but Jacob, you know, the trickster, gets the birthright. And of course, the last one, the last is when um, Esau, uh, Isaac's about to die, and, and basically Isaac says to Esau, go hunt some venison for me. I want, I want to have some, some good stew, uh, and then I'll, I'll bless you. And, of course, in, in this particular event, the mother conspires uh, with Jacob to trick uh, the father, which, again, for those of you who like the Avengers, there's a Thor, uh, mother, Loki kind of thing. Anyway, that's not important right now. But anyway, so, so the, the mother, Rebecca, 
uh, and Jacob conspired to trick Esau out of his uh, blessing. And of course, this time, this, this one, this actually gets Esau. This time Esau um, is ready to kill his brother Jacob, and Jacob leaves, and he's gone for, you know, at least 14 years in a, in a far-off country. And from this point on, Jacob begins to experience um, the consequences of uh, the life uh, of a trickster, and he, he, he hits rock bottom. And by the time that we meet uh, Jacob in this story, he is about to face his brother, and he's like, I'm going to die. All my family are going to die. He actually layers his family. You know, I don't like this part of the story either. He puts, he puts his less favorite wives and his less favorite children out front so that they're killed first and keeps his favorite wife and his favorite son in the very back so that they have the most like, likelihood. Don't, don't do this in raising children. Um, you know, my father always told my sisters that they were all his favorite. Uh, anyway, that, I thought that was a great solution. You're all my favorite uh, uh, children. But Jacob has hit rock bottom. The, the night before, he sees Esau. He, he seems to have a, a, a come-to-God moment, uh, literally. Uh, he wrestles with God. But um, when he comes to Esau, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He is in complete humility. But what happens, This is I like it when the story ends this way. It ends up with Esau completely having uh, forgiven Jacob and Jacob in complete um, surrender to uh, to who he is and, and to what he needs to become. So the appropriate, what's the appropriateness of this sermon today? Well, we've had several years now of people within families and people within the church, we've been fighting with each other. Um, it's not been pretty in the church. Now, maybe you haven't had any kind of conflict with your family members, but I know family members who, uh, who aren't speaking to each other. There were inc- incidences where uh, children just refused to go to their parents' house for Thanksgiving or, or for Christmas, where brother and sisters aren't talking to each other. And of course, we experience this in the church too, where the church is alienated from each other. We have people in the, in the church who are the family of God who are not um, on speaking terms with each other and are angry at each other and even hateful toward each other because of these disagreements that we've had uh, with each other. I think the picture of Jacob and Esau gives us a picture of what we need to be because we are family, right? This is the family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, kind of, uh, I, I grew up in the, the 70s and 80s, I guess. Um, you know that song? We are the family of God. And so uh, we need to be together as the family of God. We need to be reconciled to each other. We may not want to be reconciled with each other. I'm, I'm not sure that there are, are, there are a lot of people in the church that probably don't want to be at peace with each other. They're fine with not talking um, to, to other, other family members. But this is what we are called to be as the family of God. We are called to be in fellowship with each other, and we are called to be in community with each other. So just a few quick uh, thoughts on, on what this might look like. And I'm not in any way saying, uh, saying that this is easy. In fact, uh, sometimes I, I listen to Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, West preach, and I think, well, he's a saint. It's easy for him. He doesn't get angry at anything. Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Cindy would, would correct us on him getting angry. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't get angry at anything. But I have, I have opinions on, on the recent kind of events. I have, I have strong opinions, so I'm preaching to myself as well um, because I need to be willing to be family with my family. And there I'm speaking in, in the broadest sense of the, of the people of God. This is something God is calling us to do. 
Well, the, the first thing, though, I think it's important to note that just because we are reconciled to each other relationally doesn't mean that we deny that there are rights and wrongs on things. It doesn't mean that we just ignore uh, that there were things that were done uh, in the past. And I think that's important for reasons that, that uh, I'll mention uh, in a second if, if it's not immediately obvious. But think of these two chiefs. These two chiefs have been fighting with each other, and they come of the, and they bury the hatchet. Um, now, let's say that, that both chiefs lost a son in the battles with each other, but they decide we have to be reconciled, we need to have peace, we need to bury the hatchet. Now, when they buried the hatchet, did the sons come back from the dead? Ah, everything's great, you know? Uh, was, did they deny, no, my son's not dead, you know, let's bury that? No. Burying the hatchet in this sense, being reconciled with each other as the family of God, doesn't mean that we just pretend like nothing happened in the past. And this is very important because sometimes uh, there are situations where, um, uh, let's take an abusive relationship, where an abuser uh, may, may even go to a pastor, uh, and, 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 and there have been instances where the pastor will say, well, you need to be a Christian and Christ-like, and you need to forgive your spouse uh, for the abuse that they've done to you. And the abuser might say, that's right, honey, you need to forgive me for the abuse that I've done uh, in the past. And of course, there have been instances where they go back and the, the husband actually kills her the next, the, the next time. And so, forgive, uh, this, this idea of reconciliation is not a complete glossing over there being rights and wrongs. And this is the part that, I, that, that I'm not quite sure exactly how to tell us how to do this how we need to be reconciled without us saying, oh, the issues that we were upset about aren't real. Because surely, and probably on both sides, some of the issues that we are upset about are real issues. And so we can't just pretend like, well, it's more important for us to sing Kumbaya than for us to fight for truth, justice, and, and, and righteousness. So I don't quite know how to do this, but we have to do both as the people of God. We have to be reconciled to each other we have to have fellowship with each other, and we have to feed, keep fighting for that, that quest for righteousness. I don't know how to do that. I thought when I was thinking about this, I thought of an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. I don't know uh, whether any of you have watched Bugs Bunny, but uh, there's, there's this one cartoon with the coyote and the, the sheepdog. I don't know if you know this. They, in the morning, they come to the sheep and they clock in. Um, the coyote clocks in and the sheepdog clocks in, and then for the next few hours, the coyote does everything he can to steal sheep, and of course the sheepdog does everything he can, and he wins at stopping the coyote from stealing the sheep. And then at the end of the day, when the sun's gone down, they both clock out, good night, Ralph, you know, good night, see, see you tomorrow, you know, and they come back and they live to, to, to fight another day. I, I don't know whether this is, this isn't scripture, I don't know whether this is a model, but somehow the church has to both be a force for righteousness in the world, and yet we have to be able to get along with each other and love each other and fellowship with each other. Um, I don't know how to do this other than the miracle of the Lord, but we, we have to do it. And part of it, of course, is realizing that, that even though we may disagree on some things, we know that we are both doing it out of a heart to the Lord. Both sides are, are fighting for, for, for righteousness in the way that we are out of a heart of, of service to the Lord. It's going to take a miracle for us to do this. I don't know how to do it, but Jacob and Esau did it, so surely uh, we, can, we can do it too. 
And so there has to be a way for us to bury the hatchet and fight for the gospel and not fight each other. And we have to realize that we may not always get an admission uh, from, from an abuser even that something wrong has been done. You know, when, when, when the current kind of political crises in the United States uh, began to really ramp up, I said to myself, there'll be some point where the side that's wrong will see obviously that they're wrong and we will, we, so one of the sides or the other sides will come to the other and say, you know what, I, I see now I took the wrong position on, on this and it's all clear to me. Well, I don't think it's happened. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and, and that's something we have to live with um, as the people of God. We have to be reconciled to each other even if we don't come to agreement on what actually uh, the, the truth of, of the case is because we're family because we are Jacob and Esau. When Jacob and Esau came back together, uh, Jacob didn't say, you know what, why, you, why did you take that so seriously? I was just having fun with you. You know why? I mean, Jacob doesn't say that. Jacob, Jacob is in, in genuine um, submission to his situation. And Esau doesn't say, yeah, I don't know why I was so upset. Uh, they, both of them acknowledged that things were done in the past that shouldn't have been done. That's, that's not even up for an issue in that. But somehow, they find a way to be reconciled with each other, even though there are genuine things uh, that have happened in the past. And so, I think it's very important for us to realize that we have the task as the church to love each other and be part of the family of God together, even though we may never come to complete agreement on exactly what the situation is. Which brings me to a second point, and that is this, that forgiveness is always unilateral. Didn't you? I love the children's sermon. I, I, why do we even have uh, preachers? Uh, the children's sermons, I think, are, pretty much do the trick for, uh, for what we need, need to hear. That was such a great, um, a great um, children's sermon this, this morning. But um, I think it's important to realize that forgiveness is something that I do. It's, it's not dependent upon the other side um, coming to uh, some sort of an aha moment where the other side f- suddenly realizes I was wrong and I, I wronged you and, and, and please forgive you. Forgiveness is something that, that we can do and have to do on our own regardless of what the response is or respond, regardless of what the other, other side is. And as Emily said, this is a matter of a miracle. This is not something that we can do uh, in our own power. But I think it helps when we have a sense of the grace of God. I think it really helps when we have a sense of the extent to which God has been gracious uh, to us. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard for us. It's, it's hard for me to realize I really, everything that I have from God is a gift. There is nothing that I have from God that I deserve. And when, when you come to that point of utter realization of your dependence upon God and your reliance upon the grace of God, I think it's much easier uh, to, to forgive other people. Uh, have you ever worked with somebody who just is perfect at their job. It's very annoying. Um, I've worked with people over the years. Some of them, they're just never wrong. You know, sometimes when, when some, and I mean really, I mean there are people who think they're never wrong, but there are some people who are rarely wrong on, 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 on things. And there have been times where I'll see something and I'll think, that doesn't seem right to me. Oh, it's this person. I'm wrong. Where am I wrong? I've got to be wrong on this because I know they're always right. 
Um, there's a, a famous skit several years ago uh, on Saturday Night Live uh, with Michael Jordan, the basketball player, not the dean of the chapel, although he's great too. But um, uh, I don't know how good he is at basketball. But um, uh, it's, a, it's a comedy skit, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, um, and he's being interviewed by a guy uh, whose uh, show is basically about you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Um, you. You feel down, but you know what? People like you. And so he has Michael Jordan on here on, on this, this little show, uh, and he says, I know sometimes you must feel, I don't know whether I can do well at this basketball game I'm about to go into. You know, I'll probably miss all the shots, and, and I just, I'm, I know I'm going to fail today. And Michael Jordan says, no, I, I pretty much feel pretty good every, every game I play. Um, and he, he says, well, Michael, denial's not just a river in Egypt. Uh, and, but, but Michael, is, uh, he makes him go through and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and, and doggone it, people like me. I and mean, there are people like Michael Jordan who seem to be good at everything. But I'm sure he, he probably can't bake cookies. There's got to be something that he's, not, that he's not good at. But scripturally, we know that all have sinned and don't have the glory of God. God intended us. He crowned us with glory and honor, Psalm 8 says, but we don't have it because uh, we are fallen, because of sin. We, we all, there is none righteous, uh, no, not one. And if we, can, if we can seriously come to grips with the fact that all of the goodness about us is derivative from God, that all of the goodness about us is because God has created us in His image, because God loves us. That's what gives us value, the fact that God loves us. In ourselves, we are nothing. In ourselves, we deserve nothing. What does Job say? I came naked into the world. I'll leave naked from the world. We are all but dust. Dust we are. To dust we will return. And I think once we get a a clear sign of how little we are in the vast scheme of things in ourselves, and that our greatness is the grace of God, how great the grace of God is, the grace of God will bring us to be able to forgive others in realization that it is only by the grace of God that we are anything ourselves. So why can't we forgive others? Because in the end, we really are no more deserving uh, than anyone else is. And so, Realizing that we need to be reconciled to each other in the family of God does not mean that we ignore right and wrong. It doesn't mean it, that the other person has to, well, they've got to, they've got to say they're sorry first. No, forgiveness is a, a unilateral kind of thing that I do, me and God, we do it one-on-one, whether or not the other person um, comes to uh, agreement or not. And then the third thing that I want to say this morning as we, as we approach the end of the service is I'm struck by Esau in this story. Esau is so blessed. It's not that he denies that Jacob did him wrong in the past, but Esau is so blessed that the blessing that God has given Esau makes all the wrongs that anybody else has done to him seem like nothing uh, in comparison. Isn't that great? This this sense that the, the grace of God, that we are so engulfed by the blessing of God in our lives and the glory of God, that, that it's not that the things that are wrong didn't happen. It's just that there's something so much greater that, is, that we are a part of that it, it just pales in significance. We see Paul uh, thinking along these lines in Philippians 3. He, he kind of gives his resume at the beginning of Philippians 3. Yeah, I was this. Yeah, yeah. As Ju- Judaism goes, I was pretty hot stuff. 
He even says in verse 6, as far as the righteousness in the law is concerned, I was blameless. And then he gets to Jesus, and he says, but you know what? None of that matters compared to Jesus. The, the, the greatness of Jesus and the blessing of Jesus is so much greater than my resume that's almost like my resume, and he actually, I'm not sure if he uses a cuss word, but it comes close. It's something like he says, it's all, my resume is crap, is basically what he says. He uses a Greek word. That you, I won't tell you what it is, and you see me after the service. But, but, but Paul basically says that all of that that I might have considered to my credit, it's nothing. It's nothing when I think about how great um, Christ is. And so I didn't want to just say, let's, let's bury the hatchet. Let's be so in, 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 in the love of God and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we don't even remember where the, the hatchet is. Um, I had a bright idea as a boy once of, um, uh, I'd, I'd, I'm a planner kind of dreamer kind of type, and uh, I'd created Shank International Enterprises, and I wrote up business documents. My, my, my dad was a notary public. I had him notarize it, um, you know, with the embosser and all that stuff. And then I had the bright idea, this is how all my dreams, don't tell anybody, this is how my dreams often end. I thought, I should bury this, buried treasure. I should bury this in the ground. And so I took all these important documents and I put them in a little, little case and I buried them in my yard. And then I forgot about it. And then I don't know how long it was, a couple years later, I thought, I should dig that up. And I couldn't find it. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Where did I bury that? To this day, there's a, a house in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with buried treasure somewhere in the yard um, and, and that I don't know where it is. I hope that we can come to a point in our relationship with God and with each other that we can so much enjoy each other and the fellowship of each other. We, we don't, where was that hatchet? We had a hatchet once upon a time. We were kind of at each other once upon a time with that hatchet. Where is that? I don't even remember where the hatchet is. That's, that's the hope. That's what Esau seems to have experienced in, in this story. And so I pray this morning that the Lord will help us not only to bury the hatchet but to, uh, to forgive it. I, I have some, for, forgive the, the, the hatchets of the past. Um, I have some uh, family members uh, who have not got along with each other very well in these, these last few years. Uh, one brother or sister I don't know who did it first. Somebody unfriended the other, and somebody unfriended the other, and, and for a while they weren't, they weren't speaking to each other. And then there was a common enemy to the family. Some, something outside the family caused the, 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 the camaraderie of brother and sister to come together. Isn't it funny how that happens? You know, I can beat up my whoever, but you can't do that. Um, and, and these two siblings that were at odds with each other uh, in this moment of, of uh, a kind of a crisis, it was like nothing happened. We're talking to each other. We're, we're back to each other. That kind of reconciliation is what I hope uh, that we can experience as the people of God, not necessarily in, in this church, but the broader, uh, although if it exists in this church, I would hope that would be true in this church as well. But I hope that the church can find a place where we can get back together and realize, you know what? We're family. And there's nothing that we should be arguing over or fighting over that is so bad that we cannot be the family of God and the children of, of our Father, um, God the Father. And so, let me pray, and um, may it be so. Father, I pray that you would help me, uh, not just uh, to be somebody who's talking to others, but that in my own life, that I would have a soft heart, not a hard heart, but a soft heart, 
a heart that would um, be recognize that the, the love of, and fellowship of the body of Christ and the family of God is far more important um, than um, me letting uh, the, the disagreements uh, to take over my heart and to crumple up my heart. I pray that you would create in all of us a new heart, a clean heart, a heart uh, that is fresh and renewed. May it be so in our lives this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.